Welcome to the P4C Podcast. We are excited to reshare with you the last 12 years of teaching through God's Word at Passion for Christ Summit. Each week, the P4C Podcast delivers rich truths for your life, and we know you will be blessed. Our current series is from P4C 2017, Resolved, Why the Reformation Matters Today. We now join Daniel Cavanaugh, Charles Cavanaugh, and Matt Shackelford for the P4C 2017 panel discussion. We hope you are encouraged and challenged. Perfect men. Uh, so maybe what were some of the errors in the church that they still held to? You know, what were some of the doctrinal errors that they still held to that we can learn from? And um, and whoever wants to shoot first, go for it. We'll just do a lightning round. You want to start with that, Matt? Sure. Um, okay. All right. <laughs> Uh, you know, as I think about some of their errors, you know, they were very much a product of their time. Um, you know, Luther was very much still a, um, a monk and a priest, and he still held to things like consubstantiation, you know, the elements and uh, kind of the sacrifice of Christ existing al- con along with the elements. And so uh, there, was, there was still some confusion there. Obviously, some, some racial issues. Um, you know, uh, Luther was a bit more, he had more uh, rough edges than uh, other men. You know, I, I told someone earlier today that was, he was a bit like uh, a Mark Driscoll. You know, he's going to use a lot of profanity from the pulpit. He would probably, he would probably tweeted like Donald Trump. He would have tweeted like <laughs> Trump, and he would have used a lot of profanity in his sermons. And, uh, you know, some people may have been offended by that. He had some rougher edges. And, uh, um, you know, racially, he had some issues. He was very anti-Semitic. Um, you know, he held to that form of eschatology that would lead him that direction and seeing a race as an enemy of mankind. Um, uh, his view of the Lord's table, as I mentioned, was, was uh, out of place, but there's a few, few areas of Luther's life. Yeah. yeah, Lutheranism actually moved toward consubstantiation, not transubstantiation, yeah. but originally... Luther's goal was not to pull out of the church, right. was not to start a new movement. He wanted to reform. That's hence Reformation. He wanted to reform the Catholic Church. That's all the church he knew. Uh, so you have to understand, we are 500 years later, we're looking back on how could they even think that? Well, that's all they knew. Um, so there were others. I mean, uh, Calvin did some things. Because of the, the uh, association with, the connection between the church and government, then there were penalties for certain things. There were uh, actually aggressiveness against certain errors they saw. We would see as encroachments upon personal freedom. So, yeah, they had their issues. They, they weren't perfect. We, our goal is not to glorify them so much as to learn from them and to appreciate what they brought to us, the five solos we've talked about. It's interesting, um, Matt, you and I, when we were talking about these, uh, you made the point that what will people say 500 years from now about us? You know, what are the things that they will look back and go, you guys did that? Why? You know, and and I think it's 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 good to to see that we're dealing with, you know, men who are sinners, (laughs) you know, and they were growing and discovering things out of darkness. Um, and, you know, and they were well into their years, uh, you know, even say mid-20s or so before they begin that process, you know. And, and I, they didn't grow up in church, you know what I'm saying, type of thing. You know, they grew up in the Catholic church, which was very dark. And I think we have to remind ourselves of that. And kind of a follow-up question to that is, have we whitewashed them and put them on pedestals? 
Yeah. And we are recording it, so you might pick up the mic. Oh, okay. right. <laughs> to some degree, I think we have. But What makes you think we've put them on pedestals? Yeah. Well, I'm just curious. <laughs> Obviously, we put them on a pedestal. <laughs> Honestly. Do we need to say anything else? <laughs> I think that answers that question. The answer is yes. <laughs> uh, so this next question here um, has to deal with scripture alone in relation to, uh, obviously, Matt, some of the things you've talked about on Wednesday night. But what are some of the ways we can use um, scripture to, uh, uh, or I should say, maybe I should say this, what are some ways we can use to authenticate scripture without actually using scripture, and is that even possible? Yeah, I, I, you know, uh, Scripture is uh, an authority unto itself, and so what, what will happen is people will say, well, the Bible claims authority. That's circular reasoning. You're going back on, you know, the Bible claims its own authority, therefore we should listen to the Bible, and that's circular reasoning. Therefore, people don't like to buy into the Bible. Uh, but the Bible's unlike any other book. It is a spiritual book. When you go to it, there is the self-attestation of the Holy Spirit. It is a spiritual book. It's not like reading... Uh, Calvin's Institutes. It's not like reading, um, you know, The Shepherd of Hermes. You know, it, it's a different book. It, it, it is a spiritual book, and it speaks to the human soul, and it's self authentic. Uh, uh, it gives self authentic. Uh, boy, I'm, I'm authenticating. authenticating. Thank you. <laughs> um, and you know, one of the things, you know, one of the things I even struggle with, and I, I like to ask people that when we when that topic comes up on the street in my evangelism. Um, uh, is that a problem? Why is circ in your worldview? Why is circular reasoning uh, a problem? And and they they say, well, well, it's a fallacy. It's one of the major fallacies of logic. And I say, well, you use circular reasoning in every aspect of your life. I mean, how do you not know? I mean, would you not agree that in hospitals there are people? that are insane, that are out of their minds, they're in straitjackets, but they do not realize they're insane. Do you, would you not agree with that? Well, yeah, of course, absolutely, those people are out there. And so how, I would ask, how, how do you know that's not you? How do you know that you're not legally insane? How do you know this isn't the matrix, right? That you're like plugged in and you're using your senses to evaluate your senses. You're using your reasoning to evaluate your reasoning. So, so you buy into circular reasoning every day, every day. It's just the Bible. When it comes to the Bible, you're against that. And so look, it's a spiritual book. Uh, it is self-attesting. It, it is self-authenticating, uh, and uh, it is a uh, it's a spiritual book that we read. That as we read it, the Holy Spirit confirms in our heart it is indeed the Word of God. Um, and so that's that's probably where I'd start. It's almost a presuppositional approach. You know, why why does that why is that a problem in your worldview? Uh, why is circular reasoning an issue? And I would start there. Yeah. I think I think you also the question comes up. Um, do I use empirical evidence or stuff we can see, we all agree on? So to kind of like Romans 1. Right, right, or, or, yeah. or uh, Psalm 19 to support the scriptures. Nothing wrong with that. As long as you don't think you're going to convert somebody by showing that, quote, the Bible's reliable, you know. Uh, ultimately, we have, as we will see and as Matt will discuss some tonight, uh, and what I discussed some uh, in the first evening is we have to depend on the Spirit of God to quicken men, to bring them to light, to, to dispel the darkness. But yet will, will he use our discussion of uh, creation and 
just the, the whole nature of design and those kinds of things to bring them along so that th that's a tool, a pre-evangelism tool to bring them to the point of hearing the gospel. Certainly, feel free to do that. By all means, do that. I mean, that's truth. It's not, you're not using something that's not truth. Uh, don't, ex Daniel brought up in our discussion before this that there, and it's a little bit of a cliche, but there's truth to it, and that is that there is enough light in general revelation to condemn a man or a woman. They ought to see the light in general revelation, which is creation stuff, that at least say, where's God? I want to know him. They ought to do that. So there's enough to condemn him, but not enough to convert him or her. And so we want to bring them to the gospel ultimately. Mm. Which then I would bear light upon that, Romans 10, and the call to us, how should they know without a preacher? Right. You know, and so I think that's important, preaching the Word of God and the truth of God's Word. Um, this next question I feel like probably would be somewhat controversial, and um, I don't know if we shy away from controversy at all, especially since we picked the topic that we picked for this week. I'm for um, controversy as long as I don't have to defend <laughs> what I say. <laughs> um, and one of the questions comes here, are there any good things Protestants can learn from the Catholic Church? And probably in relation to that, can Catholics be saved? Mm -hmm. So maybe kind of a double question. There. Um, well, we actually, we have learned things from the Catholic Church because our heritage, at least to some degree, comes from what became, and I'll do a historical overview tomorrow evening, so I'll explain that more, but comes from what became the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is responsible for some of the confessions that came out of creeds, okay? Um, it came out of the creeds. The Catholic Church holds to the deity of Christ, the Trinity. Uh, those are things that have been held throughout church history as, uh, as orthodox. So there's much about orthodoxy that we owe to the universal church, uh, which is what Catholic means. Uh, I don't want to be, uh, I don't look to the Catholic Church for help now, for doctrinal help. I think that's what the Reformation was about. The Reformation was about looking to Scripture. I'm not looking to an institution that rejected salvation by faith alone, and through grace, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, looking to Scripture alone, and not giving glory to a pope or an institution, but to God alone. So I don't look there. That the, the continuum in history was from that. So I, I, we are past that. Historically, we're past that. We have Scripture. And uh, so that's, that's the way I would approach that. Matt, have anything to add to that? Yeah. Um, look, Catholicism, um, Catholicism today has become uh, somewhat uh, dangerous. And um, uh, the reason is because they mix in works and uh, they don't depend wholly on the grace of Jesus Christ. And uh, we need to say that uh, up front. We need to be very clear. Um, uh, one of you were, were, I heard in the groups where you were discussing imputed righteousness and infused righteousness. Catholicism holds to infused righteousness. So that you're, you're building your case and you're receiving grace and you're constantly adding to your case until eventually you meet that line where, whatever, that, where line whatever that line is where God accepts you 
And so you're building your case and you're building, 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 building until you're accepted. That's infused uh, righteousness. And, um, and so I love what Charles said. Look, I'm not, I really don't take much from the Catholic Church. Um, in the social arena, I think it becomes an interesting conversation. Uh, we may not agree on doctrine at all. Like, we're not going to agree on justification. We're just not. Uh, we, we as evangelical Protestants, that being our heritage, we're going to say we're justified in Christ alone, through Christ, through the saving work of Jesus Christ, that he suffered, bled, and died on our behalf. He took the punishment that we deserved. And, and the moment that we believed upon him, we receive all of his righteousness. And he receives all of our iniquities. And there's been this exchange. And this beautiful gospel moment has taken place. We don't agree on that. Uh, but we may go to jail together. You know what I mean? Like the social aspect of life, um, the, there will be a future where things are called hate speech. And there, there will be a day where we, we have to oppose abortion and things like that. And we oppose those social issues together. So we, we may not agree on justification, but, you know, socially we may end up in prison together. And, uh, and we may stand on some of those issues. And so that's probably where I'd go. And um, can, could a Catholic be converted? Oh, yeah. I think yes. Uh, I think it's and much if more difficult. If that's diff the case, why? Well, because the Catholic Church does say salvation is in Christ. Someone could, in that context, trust Christ, trust Christ alone. I'm not saying they couldn't, but I think it's more difficult, much more difficult in that doctrinal atmosphere to actually have a biblical understanding of the gospel and, and trust Christ alone. But I'm not going to say that could not happen. I think it has happened. Uh, the other thing is, just one more clarification. Let's say I'm in a community where the only church is a Catholic church. Would I attach myself to it and go there for spiritual instruction and edification? And the answer is unequivocally, equivocably, no. I would not. I, I just wouldn't. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We have a guy who goes to our church where we're at who was saved out of the Catholic Church. And um, he was saved while he was in the Catholic Church but and still was going there. But one of the things he will tell you is, is that he's begin to grow in his understanding of Scripture. Mm -hmm. He began to listen to other people other than just the Catholic Church. He realized quickly that this is not a place where he could stay for spiritual sure. nourishment. And, and he would tell you he was saved... Uh, no, no thanks to the Catholic Church. Right. It was actually... And I think we have to understand he was in darkness. And so to come out of that light, it just totally yeah. revolutionized. My, my friend Dave Doyle loves to say it like this. He says, uh, you can get saved in the Catholic Church by trusting in Christ alone, but you can't stay there. Yeah. Because of all the things they add to Christ. Right. And, uh, I mean, you even look at the, uh, the Pope and, you know, he takes the titles of the Trinity. You know, he's the Holy Father, he's the Pontiff, he's the Vicar of Christ, the representative of Christ, you know, and um, there, there's, uh, there, there would be a lot of problems to stay there and you wouldn't be able to grow there because there's so much intermixed in with Christ alone. Mm. It's not Christ alone. Right, absolutely. So, um, so kind of moving along here, um, it says here, why or how did some of the reformers justify, and you kind of touched upon this, but how or why did some of the reformers justify and use capital punishment for the promotion of Christian ends? I, I think the biggest thing as we think about history is we have to think that every history has a context, 
And uh, we have to think about um, the context in which these people lived. It was a medieval time. Um, obviously, Calvin was a part of, he did not personally have a man ki- killed, but he did warn the man, look, don't come back here. The proconsul is going to kill you if you come back here. And, and the guy came back one too many times, and he kept coming back. And uh, he was non-Trinitarian, and uh, that was part of it. But uh, part of his social experience or experiment, which was an utter failure, was this concept of a city on a hill. Right, the city on a hill. It's where the church is the government, the government is the church, and they're one, and it was an utter failure. It was just an utter failure. Um, the church was, uh, was never meant to be the government. And uh, when you try to mix those two things together, it just always ends in disaster. And so that was part of it. Um, you know, and I would say that, you know, that we're looking back 500 years removed. Okay? 100 years from now, what will they say about us? Can you believe they voted for that guy? You know what I mean? Can, can you believe they supported that guy? Can you, can you believe that they were, I mean, what are the things they will say about us, which they're just shocked? And so part of it is context. Every age of the church, they sort of have a theology that they're kind of working through. Uh, this was the age of soteriology. That's what they're working to. What, what theology is this age, by the way, for us, for the church today? What theology are we still working through as a community? Any guesses? No? Well, nothing that's um, nothing that's fundamental. What, you're right. It is a tertiary one. Right. Uh, to, to some degree, I, I believe we're, we're kind of in the eschatology phase of the church. That's kind of the biggest conversation going on right now. I mean, the reformers really were uh, determining soteriology and thinking through that and, and uh, figuring that out. But uh, every age of the church, there's a different theology. Do we want to have that discussion? <laughs> we certainly can. Uh, we can go there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I think... I think the biggest point that I would make is we are 500 years removed and we're looking back on medieval times. Right. And so it does seem strange. Ancient some of the things. History. Yeah. And yeah. there were those who loved Christ who moved from that. And thus you had quite a movement to North America, sure. which yeah. led to a government that uh, wanted to separate not God from government necessarily, but certainly instit- an institution, a religious institution, a denomination from being the state religion, and that was why they did that, because of some of those excesses that they saw. Right. And I I don't think people realize how our, not only our Christian heritage, but our national heritage is tied back to the Reformation. Um, Maybe not necessarily what Martin Luther or John Calvert, any of those guys, you know, wanted to happen, but it just kind of naturally, progressively led to that because there was the growing in the truth and the understanding of God's Word. And each generation, hopefully, begins to grow in that whole aspect. So, Thank you for joining us this week. If you have questions about P4C, visit our website at p4csummit.org or you can email us at info at p4csummit.org. We hope you can join us next week on the P4C podcast as we listen to part two of this message. May God bless you as you seek to passionately live for His glory each and every day. Mm-hmm.